Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. We've got a unique story for you today. I'm speaking with Raj Thomas. He is Vice President and General Manager of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Group. And the Mechanical Circulatory Support Group, and I'll just call it the MCS group going forward, uh, is unlike other businesses at Medtronic. Uh, it is not measured by the number of new devices implanted in patients, but rather how it's caring for nearly 3,000 patients who have already received Medtronic's hardware ventricular assist device. Uh, in 2021, Medtronic stopped distributing its HVADs after studies showed an increased risk of stroke when it was compared to other ventricular assist devices available. So uh, Medtronic no longer sells the hardware uh, ventricular assist device, but does support the 2,900 patients who have already received the uh, pump and are, are currently requiring or relying upon the pump for uh, for their survival. These are patients who have severe heart failure and uh Medtronic is working with them, working with their caregivers, and working with clinicians to ensure the uh, pumps have what they need to continue to provide that support uh, until they're no longer needed. So uh, it's an interesting conversation, an interesting mission. And Raj Thomas, who's Vice President and General Manager of, of MCS, explains how the team is continuing to support these recipients. They've had uh, an annual meeting recently. And uh, they formed a patient advisory group. So uh, lots of interesting things going on. And as Raj Thomas says, the mechanical circulatory support group really pursues the purest sense of uh, Medtronic's mission to care for patients. So great conversation with Raj Thomas. I know you'll enjoy it. But before we begin this episode, I want to bring in our sponsor, Resident Link. I am speaking with CEO and co-founder Grayson Zuloff. Grayson, tell us about Resonant Link. Absolutely. So Resonant Link is number one in wireless power for implantable medical devices. And we have a mission in medical devices to eliminate battery replacement surgeries and drive lines by providing non-invasive, fast, safe, and reliable wireless power. We were launched out of graduate work at Stanford University and at Dartmouth College around a 5X improvement in wireless charging performance, where by reimagining the coils that sit at the heart of the system, we can redefine what's possible on implant depth, misalignment, charge speed, and safety, all while staying under that two degree C limit that the FDA mandates for devices implanted inside the body. We launched in 2018 and immediately started working with a number of customers in the, the medical device industry, all the way from the cardiac rhythm management space to neurostimulation and to pumps and mechanical circulatory assist. Uh, since then, we've grown to serve 12 medical device customers that are integrating our chargers 
into their OEM products in fields as varied as brain computer interface, CRM, and pain. And we're growing around this mission to make it possible to treat patients with every treatment that's available to them, to make it easy for them to recharge while living their daily lives, and to eliminate drive lines from the high power devices that we need to treat certain indications. That's a great start. We'll hear more from Grayson Zuloff a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about Resident Link right now, go to its website, resident-link.com. That's R-E-S-O-N-A-N-T dash link with a K dot com. Well, Raj Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm really quite excited about talking about mechanical circulatory support with both you and your audience. Well, I'm very, very eager to learn more about what you do at Medtronic. But uh, as always, we like to find a little bit about our guests uh, before we get into the talk of business. So uh, I'm curious as to uh, how you found your way into the medical device industry. What were, what were your motivation and what was your, uh, your first role? Sure. So I, I started in MedTech almost 23 years ago, coming out of my MBA program at the University of Wisconsin. And really, there are two primary drivers for me getting into MedTech. First, you know, my overall interest has remained in the sciences, and I've always wanted to get back into the sciences, the engineering disciplines. I have an undergraduate degree education in the sciences, and I had intended to go to medical school, um, but for all sorts of reasons, it just, uh, it just was not the right thing to go do, and so I had to change course. But my mom is a doctorate in pharmacy. My dad had a PhD in, in engineering discipline, and my brother is a medical doctor, so emergency medicine. So the field has always been kind of in front of me, and I still remained interested at the time. And then I was very fortunate. I had a number of opportunities coming out of business school, and one of them was with Guidant Cardiac Rhythm Management in the Twin Cities. So I joined Guidant in back in 2000, which kind of kicked off the career. But the real reason or the second reason I had the choice of Guidant was um, I had a classmate had done an internship there that one summer. And he came back, and he was relentless. You've got to go talk to them. Go talk to them. Go to the interview. Go beat them. Beat them. I finally said, look, dude, I'll go do it just to keep you off my back. And that's how I got the, that's how that, you know, things went well, the interview and I finally got the job at, uh, at Guide. So, and I started in finance. What was the energy that he, that you and he liked at Guide and what was, uh, what convinced him to coerce you into getting that interview done? I think a lot of it had to do with what guidance or the med tech sector gets to do around patients. And frankly, Guidant had a great culture, right? Sure. Um, back in the early 2000s, their culture was fantastic. He experienced it. He hadn't felt anything like that in his career. Now, we were all young, right? I mean, four or five years out of, out of undergraduate, what have you, right? But it was the patience, I think, that was really that drove him. He wasn't wrong. He was not wrong. I had a fantastic uh, opportunity within Guidant. That's great. Oh, I've talked to a number of people who are at Guidant, and they have nothing but positive and wonderful things to say about the culture there. So you've got a lot of company in that regard. So what was next? So getting out of business school, going into finance. I was in finance for about five, four years, four and a half years. But that really taught me kind of the fundamentals of the business. But then after that, and one of the reasons I had actually joined Guidant was I knew I was going to have opportunities outside of finance. And that happened, right? So within about, after that four, four and a half years, I managed to get into research and development. I ran a lab for about three years, and then I was pulled into product development, which is where I spent the bulk of my career, frankly. Did a lot of different things with their latitude system, then managed to actually get an opportunity within electrophysiology and doing uh, two integrations. And so I spent almost 15 years at Guidant Boston Scientific. And then about eight years ago, just over eight years ago, I 
jump ship, as they would say, and joined Medtronic in their pelvic health group. Uh, and from there, again, it was product development. I was brought in to, to run their portfolio and basically refresh the programs, all the products, et cetera. But within that period of time, I also got an opportunity to twice run the organization as an interim leader, interim general manager, and an interim president before Mirasani joined us about a year ago. And then since I left Pelvic Health about nine months ago, I've been now leading mechanical circulatory support operating unit within Medtronic. So it's been a great set of experiences over these last 23 years. I think really has set me up well for this general management opportunity. That's great. So were you part of guidance uh, during the, you, you were you were guided at the time of the acquisition with Boston, correct? I was, yep. Yeah, I was there from 2000 to 2014 and the yeah, acquisition yeah. closed, I think, April of 06. Interesting. That was an interesting time. It so It was interesting time. <laughs> Let's get okay. it. You're, you're, you're vice president and general manager of mechanical circulatory support. Uh, and, and I wasn't quite clear when I was doing my research on this, what area you over, oversaw. And, and it actually introduced a, a part of the med, the med tech business that I had never really considered. What happens after the device goes to a patient and how involved med tech companies are in that part of the life cycle of the device. So tell us a bit about uh, mechanical circulatory support. So mechanical circulatory support, I'll start with actually the patient and the type of patient. So it's an, it's a, a patient has heart failure and it's advanced heart failure, which means that the heart has weakened and or deteriorated and it's no longer pumping enough blood to the body. And it's past medications and other therapies. There are two types of patients. There are those patients that are candidates for transplant. So we call those bridge to transplant patients. And then there are those patients that are not candidates for transplant, but they need the pump in order to, to continue to live. Um, and we call those destination therapy. And I'll just give you one example of the type of patient. We had a, a teenager in Columbia. Some of this, this girl loved music. She was battling cancer and I had chemotherapy and that had damaged her heart. She was in need of a transplant. But there was not one available, right? There's, you know, there's a, there's a wait list. There's a whole process to get a transplant. So she received a hardware ventricular assist device, otherwise known as HVAD, back in April of 2019. And great news, right, over the last September, she received a heart transplant. Mm. And so she's just one example of the type of patient that, that needs one of these pumps. That's the patient. And then, so what is the device? It's, um, it's a pump. It's implanted internally in the heart. And it circumvents aspects of the heart to basically pump blood through the rest of your body. And so what we are doing, I'll also give you a little bit of history of where hardware yeah, let's get it, is. Let's um, get into the background of hardware as well, how it came to be part yeah, of Medtronic. Sure. So where hardware was founded in 2004, uh, it was a novel, novel device. It was a little smaller than the competition at the time. They received their European approval back in 2009 and then the U.S. approval in 2012. And then Medtronic went ahead and acquired the company back in August of 2016. So in June of 2021, we, Medtronic, had stopped the distribution of the product. And there was a growing body of clinical comparisons, observational data that indicated we were having a higher frequency of neurological adverse events, i.e. stroke. And considering these findings and the fact that there was an alternative, so Abbott uh, has their HeartMate 3 device, we opted to take the, stop the distribution because it was really in the best interest of the pay for patient safety. So you asked, I believe, so what is it that we do? Since that point in time, it has now been about almost the purest focus on the patient. And how do we support a patient? We're no longer distributing the device. 
So we're not growing the patient population. We're not growing the knowledge of HVAD. And how do we make sure that the therapy knowledge is codified, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. With our care provider, the caregivers, right? These folks often have a caregiver, but then also healthcare providers. And we have about 2,900 patients that have the device. And many of these folks will have the HVAD system for another 10 years. And so that's the job. It's almost in the purest sense, the mission of Medtronic, supporting patients for as long as it's absolutely necessary for them to, to lead a high quality of life. What shape does that take? Is that an engagement with, do you have clinicians on your staff at Medtronic who are engaging with them? Are they folks who are serving as sort of liaisons between their physicians and the patients? Are you just talking to patients? What does that process look like? Yeah, different than obviously a a revenue-driven business. We have a a team, a worldwide team of clinical specialists, right? And a lot of these folks were former VAD coordinators or worked in in VAD centers. So I'm sorry, for the audience, I say VAD, I mean ventricular assist device. Mm -hmm. So that's, we've got about, say, 25 to 30 folks worldwide doing that. So they're doing the day-to-day interaction, right, with if there's a situation where we have to make a repair or make an exchange of an accessory, an accessory being maybe the batteries or the controllers. So that's our day-to-day front. Then within our organization, we're building an education repository, let's put it that way, or mm-hmm. a, a wealth of data. Because when you're not implanting the device any longer, the knowledge base within the community becomes less and less. So what we need to do is bring the HVAD user groups together on a regular basis so that they understand how best to manage the patients with that pump. We just actually had our first HVAD user meeting in November. North America facilities we had, it was a North American-centered group. Uh, We had about 50% of the HVAD centers or patients, centers with HVAD patients, which was a great turnout. And the goal here was to have peer-to-peer discussion right, for best practices. But we, of course, give them some information of what's going on within Medtronic and what I mean by that, like what's going on with the device, the different things, that have, the aspects of it. But three quarters of the day was spent with them discussing, well, how do you manage that type of patient? What do you do in this situation? Which is really what we need to have happen because we have to have those folks know exactly what to do when these patients come in. The next piece is then the patient. We've actually done a few things that are pretty novel within Medtronic. We held our first patient advisory board. Interesting. We had, uh, it was interesting and frankly, quite emotional. We had about six patients with their caregivers and they were expressing their thoughts, ideas, concerns around where we sit. It's extremely valuable information, right? You don't often get to the patient and hear that level. And so we can then enhance our programs, our education, our material and, and interaction with the patient and then the provider. And then I guess the last piece I'd hit on in terms of how, you know, what you need to do to support this is our people, the MCS employees, the Medtronic folks, because if we don't have the right people engaged in this work, then we're not going to be able to do the right things for our providers and then subsequently not the right things for the patients. We'll take a quick break from this conversation to bring back our sponsor, Resonant Link. Once again, I'm speaking with CEO Grayson Zuloff. Grayson, how does Resonant Link help medical device companies? Resonant Link serves as the partners in power for our medical device OEM customers and partners. When we talk to these medical device companies, their biggest challenges are clearing regulatory hurdles with confidence and treating more patients with their devices. Existing wireless chargers 
don't meet either of those big challenges. They're slow to recharge devices, they're difficult to use, and the patient applications are really limited by their large size and limited charge range, which reduces the number of people who can and want to use these devices. Even further, the analysis that occurs upfront with conventional wireless charging platforms doesn't give our partners the confidence as they go through that trial stage. So our fast and highly efficient and deeply modeled wireless chargers change this. Recharging is quick, safe, easy, and reliable for patients. Our implants can be as small as three millimeters in diameter. They can be implanted up to six centimeters deep, and they have a really high tolerance for misalignment with constant power. And that allows people to move about freely and live their lives while recharging, rather than sitting on the couch, unable to move for hours every day. We're pushing toward recharge capabilities for neurostimulators in the 15 minute range. And with that high tolerance for alignment and ability to move around, this means that patients can not only survive, but thrive with their wirelessly rechargeable devices. Grayson, what makes Resident Link different than other wireless charging technologies? So going back to 2018, Resident Link was really launched around this fundamental breakthrough in how we build wireless power systems. So our coils that sit at the heart of these systems consume five times less power than conventional ones because they use this unique structure of foil and thin film dielectric layers. Because of this, we can achieve implant depths, misalignment ranges, and charge speeds that are unmatchable with conventional technologies for medical devices. But beyond just that technology, it's it's our tools that we've built with deep analysis and, and concepting capabilities. It's our team with 14 PhDs in electrical and electromagnetics engineering. And then it's really the trust that we built with our 12 medical device partners that are unique in the industry. And final question, Grayson, how do you see the medical device industry changing? Rechargeable is the new standard of care for rhythm management, neurostimulators, brain computer interfaces, pumps, and beyond, where we can do non-invasive power to treat a wide variety of patients that need these life-saving and life-improving treatments. But we know that conventional wireless power hasn't delivered for patients with slow charging, frustrating alignment, and really large implant devices and external hubs. So at Resonant Link, we see a future that recenters this patient experience through non-invasive power delivery while making healthcare more equitable and more available to patients. Well, that's great. Thanks again to Resident Link for supporting this episode of Medtronic Talks. Thanks to Grayson Zuloff for his time and insights. Once again, if you want to find out more about Resident Link, go to its website, resident-link.com. Let's take each group separately. Let's talk first about, mm-hmm. well, let's talk about the patients first. I was going to do providers first, but I want to, I want to understand where the patients are in their treatment. Is there a sort of typical quote-unquote setting or condition of patients? Are, are they in some sort of, are they at home? Or are they in a, some sort of acute facility? And I'd love to understand what their mindset is. I mean, we all have devices at home that for whatever reason, the company is no longer supporting and it's concerning then when it's a washer or dryer or whatever. I can't imagine when it's something that's giving you life like this. Yeah. They must be coming into this, I would Certainly come in with some concern, maybe some trepidation, and I'd really be looking for some assurances. 
what is their mindset, or at least the mindset of some of the people you've talked to? Obviously, you can't speak for everybody, but the answer to your first question is: so, where are they? Most of them are home. Okay. You know, certainly there's going to be some in acute care settings because of other other know, um, yeah. progression of disease states. Whatever. But the, the, right? the device doesn't require them to be anywhere special. It allows them to live their life. Exactly. Um, yeah. It does that. You know, it is externalized. So there is an external power source, meaning you have a battery, and you um, you can also plug into a wall, right, to keep the pump moving. So, so most of them are home, and the idea is really to have them live as normal a life, considering the severity of their disease state. That's the first part. Then, what is their state? Right, where's their their mental mental state? And it varies, right? And I'll just take these six uh, individuals we chatted with. We had one younger gentleman who had gotten the pump shortly after we pulled it off the market. He was very concerned. I mean, you'd imagine, right? Normal, active, 20-something, and then all of a sudden he's got a disease that he didn't, you know, some traumatic event, he's got a disease, now he's on a pump, and then the company is is no longer selling or distributing. But over the last two years now, he's been comfortable with all the information that we've been giving him and his provider. He's now like, okay, I understand the situation, I understand my own health, I understand what the company is doing, I understand what the provider is doing, so he is in a much more, uh, much better situation. Same group of folks, right? Another patient that is, I mean, just living life. You got vacations, not concerned around night and where the power resources are. She always has what she needs. She's I believe she's been to a couple of her kids' wedding, one graduation, one of her children's wow. wedding. So just doing living life, which is really what you want to see, right? If you can really get there, right? And then I think there was another class of folks that are, they've accepted their situation, right? Where there's a, there's a, you know what, we're hoping for a transplant, but they also recognize that's not everything. And they need to live in the moment with what they have. And they're doing exactly that. This gentleman is doing exactly that, giving advice to others around in his community, uh, this group that we were chatting with. Because, you know, he will maybe get a part at some point, but he is not going to just hold out for that because that could be years. So let's enjoy what I've got now. That's amazing. It must be really um, empowering to, to talk to people like that who have been dealt a very serious blow and are taking it better than I think a lot of us might. At least we don't know. I guess we won't know until we're tested, but... Right. But it really it's is an amazing. It is really an amazing group of patients. What I, yeah. I mean, it, they're they're fortitude, right? I mean, it's it's a big blow, as you say, right? And it's, yeah. it, these are sick folks. Amazing. Let's talk now about the clinicians you're you're working with. So, are these these are obviously are are they heart specialists? I imagine they're not the surgeons. The surgeons have kind of moved on to perform other surgeries. Or who are you engaging with on the on the clinical side? It's both, they're heart specialists. A lot of them are surgeons, right? Okay. Some of them, mm-hmm. Many of them are the ones that put the pump in. They're typically, a lot of these hospitals have ventricular assist device centers, bad centers, we call them. And so there's a whole ecosystem team of folks that care for these patients, whether they be a hardware Medtronic patient or an Abbott HeartMate 3 patient. Interesting. Finally, how about the Medtronic employees? What, what are the skill sets of the folks working with you? Yeah. So I think I mentioned before, first off, just the folks at MCS are remarkable. They're they're driven by the patients like I've not seen in my 23 years, frankly. It's it's really incredible to watch. It's actually it's it's a it's a blessing to be a part of, frankly. And so I, I also mentioned like we're in a unique situation, right? We've pulled the product from the market, we're no longer selling it. And we have these twenty nine hundred patients to support. We have a community of folks where, you know what? the knowledge base is going to be shrinking, 
but we are going to be at this for at least 10 years. And so what we really need is employees that are excited about this work. Not normal, right? It's not one of the, the bigger operating units at Medtronic, but it, there's a, they need to be excited about what they're doing. Um, they need to have that patient at the, at the center. And then we need them to be problem solvers, nimble thinkers, right? And being able to wear different hats because the circumstances change, they're fluid as they are in many of the operating units, right? But we want people to be thinking about different aspects, not necessarily their subject matter expertise or their slice of work, but how about the person next to you or the person, you know, be able to think broadly because that will help us think out of the box. It's a new situation. Think out of the box to be able to do the right thing for the, uh, the providers and the patients. How closely do you, do you track the patient's progress? And I'm curious, you mentioned the, the young woman who was able to get a transplant. Are you made aware of, like immediately when that happens or is about to happen? Do you have a little email that goes around or some sort of internal celebration? Because it must be very gratifying. When we get in touch with those stories, we capitalize on it. We try to have, we do a, what we call a town hall, right? And we have, and this particular teenager was on video, right? The rep was there. We celebrate those opportunities. We do track the best we can, right? We make sure we understand who's still on, on the device every quarter, right? You go through and try to we have our reps go through the centers and who's still on those things. The vast centers aren't obligated to tell us what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. If, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to really encourage them to have a conversation with us because at the end of the day, it's in the best interest of the patient and the provider, frankly, if we know they still have a set of patients. And, and to the degree we can know whom, the better, right? That way we can I don't want to call it specialty care, but, uh, you know, understand exactly what that patient group or that individual may actually need. Interesting. And final question, you mentioned the, the, how, how unique group it is at, at Medtronic. How are you measured in a, in a company like a lot of other companies where growth is one of the more important things? Obviously, patients come first, but business-wide, you're looked at to make your business bigger. This is not something that you're able to do where you are. How do you measure success and what does the future look like for your group? Yeah, so I think measuring success is really about our obligations to the regulatory agencies, right? So we have a number of pieces of lots of work that we have to make sure that the FDA and OUS regulatory bodies are aware of. So we make sure we're on time with the work product there. I think the second piece is really managing the patient and provider perception. We don't want to have quality events, right? I mean, I think you've probably heard Medtronic and with uh, Jeff and our patient safety quality plan, that's very front and center for us. And so we're making sure, like first and foremost is patient safety and quality in this operating unit. And that will be our biggest measurement. And we're going to have things happen. I mean, products, they have issues, right? But our job is to make sure we're ahead of all of that. So the second part of your question was, you know, what's the future look like? When we did the, um, the stop shipment, uh, stop distribution, I think there was, a, there was recognition there was a lot of work that needed to be done, but I don't know if everybody knew exactly what had to occur. Plans were put in place, teams were put in place as quickly as possible to keep the business moving. We have, with that backdrop, we have now, like, we've kicked off a 10-year plan. The reason being is, We've gotten through a bolus of, of work coming off the stop distribution, but we recognize a lot of these patients, again, are going to be on the device in 10 years. So how do we support them? Right? So there's two major questions. How do we continue to provide clinical support, education, 
information, et cetera, like I mentioned before. That's one, worldwide. And the second is how do you maintain supply of the accessories, the batteries, the controllers, the cords, et cetera, over 10 years when your volumes are coming down? We're digging into that now. The leadership team's um, starting to work with the extended team. We're building that out. So we'll know a lot more what, you know, what life looks like five and 10 years from now. But there is a lot of work ahead of us. That's the, what we call lift at the moment. And you mentioned the 10 years. I'm just curious. What happens after 10 years? I mean, is the assumption is that people will not require the pump at that some point for one reason or another? We chose 10 years because it was about a, a mental block that you can put in, right? It's five yep. years is too short. 10 years is something I can get my head around. We'll see what I'm doing in 10 years. I might be retired. Maybe hopefully my wife would like that, right? But make no mistake, we will be here for the patient until the last HVAC patient. And if that's 15 years from now, then that's 15 years from now, right? So 10 years was more about, hey, this is the, the bigger blocks, right? Get through some of the regulatory stuff. Let's just let's establish our programs for support. And mm-hmm. now let's, let's look at how we're going to sustain that support. And hopefully if we think about it correctly, it can be tweaked and just You just keep doing it until you no longer need to do it. That is what I assumed, but it's a question I I wanted to ask. So this has been an interesting conversation. Again, it's a unique part of med tech, but it's one that certainly you're you're putting the patients first and foremost, as they should be. So uh, Raj, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, Tom, thank you very much for having me. It was enjoyable. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Medtronic Talks. Thanks to Resident Link for making this episode possible. And thanks, of course, to Raj Thomas for his time and insights. If you don't want to miss a future episode of Medtronic Talks, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on any major podcast player. You can also find future and past episodes on devicetalks.com and medtronic.com. Please do us a favor and share this episode on your social media channels. And when you do, I would love it if you'd connect with me. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. Please uh, share this episode. And again, connect with me so I can be part of that excellent conversation. Thanks again for joining us. We'll have another episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast coming out to you soon. Take care, everybody.